HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. During this time, it's more important than ever to support our friends and neighbors in the restaurant industry. Restaurant Workers Community Foundation has set up a national COVID-19 crisis relief fund. The money they raise will provide direct relief to individual restaurant workers, support other nonprofits serving restaurant workers in crisis, and offer zero-interest loans for restaurants to get back up and running. Visit restaurantworkerscf.org to donate today. And if you need a little extra motivation, you can DM your $20 donation to RWCF's co-founder, John DeBerry, on Twitter, and he'll give you directions for making a signature quarantine cocktail. Donate now at restaurantworkerscf.org. Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. Before the coronavirus pandemic completely halted the world, Chris Shepard was one of the country's most acclaimed chefs with his underbelly hospitality family of restaurants being must-visit destinations in Houston. Now, Chris finds himself in the role of relief aid fundraiser, stepping up to take care of his own. His charity, the Southern Smoke Foundation, has raised and dispensed hundreds of thousands of dollars of crisis financial aid to unemployed workers in the food and beverage industry. We sit down with Chris to talk about the origins of the Southern Smoke Foundation and the hurdles that he and his team are facing to take care of their own during the current pandemic. Thank you for tuning into the special episode of Snacky Tunes and our continuing coverage of how restaurants and the restaurant industry is adapting to the coronavirus. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Future. 
Hello, and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. I'm on the phone with Chef Chris Shepard of Southern Smoke Foundation. Chef, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thanks for having me. How are you today? Yeah. Uh, I'm all right. I, I think you took my first question, just, you know, how, how are you doing and, and how is your team doing? Uh, you know, every day is a struggle, but every day we're getting better at what we're doing. And, um you know, I think everybody's in the same boat, like just ready for this to end, but, you know, trying to bide the time until that happens and stay safe as possible and do as much for the community as we can while we're doing it. In the last couple of weeks, a lot of restaurants and organizations have scrambled. They started GoFundMe campaigns, but you're in a bit of a different position. Um, Southern Smoke Foundation was started in 2015. Can you share a little bit of the history and how it came into existence? So Southern Smoke was, I was doing these culinary dinner or dinners at the restaurant to raise uh, money for a scholarships for culinary school. And uh, the, the guest psalm that I had with me, uh, Antonio Gianola, after we did the first dinner series, the first set of like seven dinners, he came in and was like, hey, you're going to do these again? I said, I don't know. Uh, maybe what's up? And he said, well, can we do one for MS? And I asked why. And he said, well, he was, he said, basically, he was like, was diagnosed with MS this week. And so I'd like to do a dinner to raise money and awareness. Um, and I was like, yeah, of course. And that turned into um, more than just a dinner. It turned into a small festival out in the back parking lot. We basically went to the mayor's office of special events, and they helped us. I was looking to close the sidewalks, and they shut down all the streets around us, gave us their stage, their vendors, um, and it turned into – uh, a full-on festival um, in that first year. I said I wanted to raise $100,000 for MS, and we did. Raised $181,000. Um, year two, 284000 Invited chefs from around the country. And then year three came on. We had a big lineup of chefs from all over the country, and uh, Harvey came through and, and, and really put a whoop into our city. Uh, and so we made the decision that – we couldn't do the event for MS that we needed to figure out a way to get money in the hands of um, anybody in the hospitality industry that was affected. Um, and so we worked with a local hospital next door. Uh, we figured out a way to have a system in place that would, you could apply online. Um, applications were in English, Spanish, and Vietnamese. Um, you could apply online, then that went through an app that went through a verifying committee, and then once the things were um, all of your information was verified, your name was taken off of that, and then it went to an awards committee, and we would award funds. And that year, we uh, we wrote checks to 139 families for half a million dollars. Um, but at that point, we realized that. Uh, our industry needed help 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, so uh, Southern Smoke Hospitality Fund started when we just started raising money all the time for this. And it was anytime anybody in, this, in, the, in our industry came at a time of crisis, whether it be medical or uh, emergency, anything, uh, dark night, you need to talk to somebody, uh, we're there for you. You know, and the, 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 the focus has always been like, you know, if you sprain your ankle, but you can't go see a doctor because you t- can't take off work or you hurt your back or whatever, it didn't matter what it was. 
they're ha- making the choice of having to pay rent or going to see a doctor didn't make sense to us. So we wanted to make sure that you were covered across the board no matter what. So it became very simple. We don't have a whole lot of red tape. We don't have a whole lot of uh, – uh, it doesn't take a long time to get money. Um, and so, you know, up until uh, the beginning of March, <laughs> it was a staff of two. Now it's a staff of, I believe, ten. Uh, because let's just say that during Harvey, um, we had 300 applications come in roughly. And uh, since March 12th, I believe we've had 5,000, over 5,000 applications come in. So, I think, you know, you're giving a really truncated version and, and the positive outcome, but as a lot of organizations begin to scale and figure this out, what are some of the pitfalls and some of the hurdles that you ran into along the way that if you could speak to everyone, you would say, you know, avoid these or, or don't, don't do it like that. Do it like this um, path you went down that you, that you shouldn't have. I, I don't know if we've really hit those paths so much. I think it's finding ways to make things better, uh, working with organizations around you um, that can help you. Um, Legacy, our community health hospital, has definitely helped us, you know, tremendously. Uh, we're working with Mental Health America to help with, uh, you know, conversations where people can call in right now, and uh, you know, we're still working that process through. But once that happens, that people will be able to have 24 hour a day, being able to talk to somebody, um, you know, and it's it's fundraising is generally the hardest part, you know. Uh, but, you know, giving out funds has been pretty quickly. I think in the past, I mean, we're pretty much $20,000 a day right now is what we're giving out. Um, and that'll start to flow even faster here pretty soon. So it's just, you know, trying to figure out what your guidelines are and how you can deem money out to people is, is probably the hardest thing to figure out. Uh, what are some of the tips you have on people for making guidelines? I think that's a really good, um, well, I a big differentiator. The biggest thing to hire, uh, to, if you're going to do this, is, is hiring someone who knows uh, nonprofits, and that's key, and knowing how nonprofits work. Uh, and we were fortunate enough that uh, our director uh, was for the Society of Performing Arts. She handled all the nonprofits for that. And so when we asked Catherine to come on board, um, it was a no-brainer. She just she understands it backwards and forwards and it's things that if you're not in the nonprofit world you're not going to know so i think if you can find somebody to help run your organization that you trust and believe in and knows nonprofits then then that's probably the best thing because like myself as a cook i don't know how to do that you know um there's so many legalities and laws and ways you have to do things and paperwork and filings and it's a lot so hiring somebody that can help you with that is probably the biggest influence that you could have i want to touch on a couple things that you you already mentioned um financial obviously is you know that's very immediate you know we're about to hit the first of the month and everyone is wary about rent and bills but um mental health is something that has been you know never really discussed except for maybe the last few years uh, with the work that yeah. Jack Kinsman has really done. Um, Amazing the, work. The restaurant, incredible work. I mean, phenomenal, phenomenal work, which the light that she's shown. And I think that, um, you know, I was discussing with a friend that, like, we are going through a collective trauma. Um, it's not like you lost your job in one restaurant and you kind of 
hung your head and went over to be another, a line cook. The, an industry died. So, you know, as a chef and as a leader in your community, um, to the people who might feel shame and don't know vulnerable, what type of services are you offering in mental health and, and what type of advice can you give to people who might not feel comfortable with reaching out for help? Well, we're, we're, we're finding the connections for people to actually go and have conversations with people or to be able to do it on, on phones, video chat, um, and then also being able to finance that for them. Um, and that's probably the biggest key is that when you start talking about, I need to talk to somebody, but I can't afford to do that because I got to make rent pretty quickly. <laughs> like those are the things that like Southern Smoke is able to do. Um, is is put you in touch with somebody and get you to be able to afford that. And that's why Legacy also, um, our community health hospital, our community hospital that's right next door to us, is so beneficial because it works on a sliding scale. Um, if you can pay for it, that's great. If you can't, that's great too. They don't really care. Um, so it's finding somebody like that in your city that can help you um, is beneficial. I mean, we're, we're real blessed to be where we're at, um, but it's, it's, it's having those resources and searching out those resources and, and actually having those conversations with people, you know, because people are going to need to talk here pretty soon, you know. Yeah. And what advice do you give to people who are trying to, to you know, kind of smile through the pain and, you know, suffer in silence, you know, as, as a, as a chef and, and restaurateur? What, what would you say to them? I mean, I'm probably the biggest person at fault for that, you know. Um, but, you know, it's finding somebody that you can have a conversation with and actually talk through these things. And, and the thing is, right now, we're all in the same boat, right? Everybody in this industry is in the same boat. And there is no game plan for this. There is no playbook for this. There is no, how do you, you know, oh, yeah, this happened to me six months ago. This is how you deal with it. It's not. It's having conversations, being real with people. Um, letting them know where you're at and just know that we'll all get through this together. That's the biggest thing. The other thing that you touched on with legacy and, and uh, organizations, and I think that makes Southern Smoke so great is that you're not just trying to do it all yourself. Um, there are things that you are doling out and, and grants like that, but like early on you found key partners and organizations like we'll find the money, you take care of it, you provide the services. Um, a lot of people are going to be moving really quickly, and I think that some organizations uh, you know, might um, be taken advantage of, or they might try to get into bed with someone that promises something. So since you've had time to build this and people are trying to do this very quickly, what advice do you have on what makes a good partner um, or what makes a good partner organization in doing this, and what are some things to look for, and what are some things that you know, would send up some red flags and warning signs? I mean, it goes down to, like, trust, really. Um, it, it's going to be real hard to decipher through that and hope that everybody right now is not out to screw anybody else over, you know. It's about um, believing in people and asking the right questions, you know. I, I, I guess Catherine set most of this up with Legacy. I was, like I said, having somebody in the nonprofit world was, was key and beneficial, Um but, you know, you got to look for somebody that has a long, long, long history in the community. You know, if they've been there for a while, they've been doing something right. You know, mm-hmm. I would start with somebody that just is like, hey, I'll help with that and not know what they're doing. 
you know, you got to, you got to have that because especially when you're talking to a, a health clinic that they're in it for the right reasons. Great. Uh, we're going to take a quick musical break and then we'll be back with Chris Shepard of Southern Smoke Foundation. so high you see where you're going with your eyes closed wild eye growl and smoke return every question in the same tone there's a state line out in those pines buried in frozen ground we've chosen our size now we can't turn it around Emily to the stake Her family's worried She's terribly late A haze rolling across the lake If we go, who's to know? Dead by morning if we stay Slipping it through another keyhole The slim hope of fireproof rope Kerosene off of your sweet nose It's a steak knife in my thigh Watching you flicker in real time I call your own kind Now we can't turn it You've had a number of major donations in the last few weeks to help deal with the corona pandemic. Uh, I always think that shouting out the partners and the people supporting you uh, are important to, to give acknowledgement to the people who just stepped in immediately. So what are some of the wins that you've had and some of the people that have come to support, not just the Houston chef scene, but also the national scene? I mean, you talk about... Um... The Houston Texans came in for $50,000 really quickly. Uh, and that was just a phone call that I got. And it was, hey, we want to do this. Um, I need to know more about where this money is going to go. And I said, you know what, here's Captain Lott's number. They called and it was like, 
we're on. Um, Angels Envy came in for the same. And Tito's Vodka, um, they they split uh, between four charities a million dollars, which was huge. Um, there's there is a list of of people that are just and just you know it's day to day community. Um, oh wow, yeah, I forgot. Lexus has been on board since day one, um, which is pretty amazing. And then um, individual donors are real key. Uh, you know, just over the past few weeks, we probably had over two hundred fifty thousand dollars just in. Individual donors, here's 5000 here's 10000 here's 2000 here's 1000 here's $5. Um, and that's when you get an outcry of support from not just large companies, but also from individual donors. Um, you know, that's, that's pretty key. Because, you know, we're, we're looking at it right now where most, uh, most folks in the charity and the nonprofit organizations have such high overheads. You know, and we're blessed that we don't. <laughs> and so when people are asking to donate, I always say that when you look at these organizations, look at what percentage of money is being deviled out to the actual cause. Because most nonprofits run at about 50% of every dollar. Um, we, we've worked real, real hard to keep it in the low 90 um, so we're at like 91, 92% of every dollar raised goes to helping an individual, um, which is really key. And what really, are some really of the, I mean, that's incredible. What are some of the steps that you've taken to ensure that most of the money flows through to the people in need? We don't have anybody really on payroll. <laughs> like, I don't, I, I don't collect anything from it. And like, it's Catherine and... She has an. Uh, uh, she has. Well, now we, we hired. She other than she had a full time employee and one part time employee herself, and now she's taken on um, I think eight uh, furloughed workers, you know, hospitality uh, people that have been in the hospitality industry um, that were laid off. She brought in I think eight to deal with uh, just the caseload because I said you know during Harvey we had three hundred. Right now we've got over five thousand. So it's just. It's sifting through and finding which is um, like catastrophic, which one's true, like health emergencies, and then we can focus on the. I need to pay rents. On you know, we're trying to keep people out of living in cars and having heat, or you know, whatever in their actual life. <clears throat> so it's, yeah. it's not carrying a lot of overhead is so beneficial, and we've been so tight <laughs> on that just because it does make sense that when people that want to give money, like, true donors will ask that question. Like, what is your percentage that, and you have to be able to back that up, so. Uh, you, you touched on a good point, um, and I think one of the most difficult decisions it has to make is the ethical ranking of need uh, and figuring out who gets help first, and I don't think it's an easy topic to discuss because we all have to say, you know, everyone's equal and everyone's needs, but it's, it's very clear that that is not the case. Um, and you see that what's happening in the medical industry and obviously in all the different industries that are affected. How do you determine the hierarchy of needs? It definitely goes to emergency medical first, right? Uh, prescriptions or uh, any kind of thing that that is 
like uh, a true medical emergency right off the bat, that gets dealt with first, and then it kind of goes from there. Um, then it goes to paying bills, uh, keeping you know your your power on, making sure your landlord is happy, making sure that you know if your kids are sick, like we're taking care of those kind of things. Um, but it's I'll be honest with you, I'm left out of that for the most part. I just get to know when monies are allocated. Um, and some scenarios of things that are going to the board for uh, vote, but like I know no names, I know uh, absolutely very much, absolutely nothing really. Um, I am more of the fundraising aspect of it because we've always kept it um, very separate to where uh, I have no influence on it on vote distinction on and people why is that? On uh, it, it's just always been a big practice of ours um, that we bring in people that are on the board that actually aren't in the hospitality industry. They just see the uh, the the circumstances so that they don't know names, they don't know people. Because I could know, like, oh, this is one of my farmers. Yeah, give them money. Oh, this is one of my friend's staff. Give them money. Like, I don't ever want to be put in that position. Um, I want to make sure that... Uh, as an organization that we're doing things clear cut and very right. You know, like it may be happened that one of my staff gets turned down. It could happen. I just, but I don't want to be the one that does that. You said at the top of the conversation that you're getting better every day. Uh, how, how are you getting better? What, what is getting more efficient? Where are you seeing improvements? Just in uh, our, our work or everything. In, in everything. Um, I think so. For, for, us company, yeah. mm-hmm. for us as a company, um, we have learned how to shift really quickly um, and, and keeping ourselves safe, but still keeping us working. Um, you know, we're doing a lot of the uh, bake and take or take and bake style dishes to go through the restaurant. Um, we are just down to our managers, but we're running two different shifts where it's four days on, four days off with no cross interaction in case one team, somebody in one team gets sick, the other team can step in at any time. Um, you know, we're just, we're continually like making our lives a little bit better and a little bit more concise. We definitely haven't ever done anything like this before. So, uh, it's a learning curve for all of us and it's, uh, quite not right. Frankly, it's uh, this is my second day at home and I'm freaking out cause I feel like I need to be at work but I know I can't be at work. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, we're, we're uh, hopefully pretty quickly doing more retail with these packaged items and going into our local grocery store, um, which will inter- like take pretty much all interaction with guests completely away. Um, so it'll just be a team working as a team and keeping, our, keeping each other safe. You know, this goes on. Uh, there's been a number of philosophical discussions about the restaurant industry. Uh, you know, it's, a re- it's an industry that has just kind of gone with forward momentum for thousands of years. You know, people stepped in, they, were, they get mentored, they become mentors, there's new people. If everything grinds to a halt and this really has to be rebuilt, what are some of the changes that you think you would adopt as an owner and chef if you could build everything that you touched from, from scratch. (laughs) 
yeah, I don't know the answer to that one yet. Um, I don't know how I would do it differently. You know, I, I, I think what's happening right now is that we found out what we can do with virtually nothing. Um, and that's, that's a pretty good thing to know because all the luxuries that you have with, you know, four restaurants or whatever, you know, consolidated down into one and having to, you know, deal with just a minimal amount of product and just dealing with all your farmers. And like, it's, it's, uh, it's weird. And I don't know how I would change it. You know, I, I want to, all I know is that I want to work hard enough that we keep paying the bills so that we can have a home for all of our staff to come back to. And that's, that's the fight right now. So, Cause you know, they pass all the bills, but nobody really knows what's in those bills. You know, nobody knows what's in this $2 trillion thing that's, you know, yeah, that's going to help, but they, what will it help? I, I don't know yet. Until I physically see it, I won't be able to make those decisions. I mean, and what is the type of help that you think restaurateurs need right now? Like the immediate need for them uh, and in the coming weeks? Well, I think you need to, you know, like everybody last Friday had to pay their TABC taxes. That could have been furloughed. That could have been, you know, spread out over the next eight months after this is all taken off. It's not we didn't want to pay it. It's just like, why are you hitting me with this tab right now when I have no income? And you just shut down every bar. Like, how are bars and restaurants, like, really paying for these things? So um, I think, you know, our landlords are all pretty cool, and they're all working with us. Um, I think you need some rent abatement, some tax abatement monies to come in so that you can pay staff and payroll. I think when that all comes through, that'll be great. But once I see it, I'll know more. Um, it's just the, the, the question is that nobody really knows what's happening, you know. Like, I tried to send out a letter to all the staff. It's like, hey, this is what we're working on. Everybody's like, when can we come back to work? And I'm like, that's not what I said. <laughs> like, we're trying to get this under control. We're trying to figure it out. Um, I think that if at some point it, it's the system might break, but um, insurance, you know, we've all been paying business interruption insurance. And, you know, that, that except for virus got slid in there about uh, 14 years ago and never really talked about. I think that this is probably, you know, when you, you and your government tells you you can't work, this is an interruption and insurance companies should help cover this. I pay a lot in insurance, and I think that this is definitely part of the business interruption. Um, For those who don't know about that clause that was inserted, could you just expand on it um, and why it's so I, fundamental yeah, so right now? You, you, you pay for insurance, and then you pay more for business interruption insurance. Um, and I believe it was like 2006 after SARS, the insurance companies wrote in, except for viral. Um, and so, like, that's a big thing right now. Normally, you'd be like, 2010, you'd be like, yeah, sure, whatever, man. It, but, like, right now, we're being deemed too close. Insurance companies should at least reimburse something instead of just being like, no, no, no. You can't wash your hands of this right now. Right? And that's just... It's, I mean, I've already, you know, it's going to make you look at your insurance carrier a lot differently after this. So um, I think that some percentage, should, I don't know if they're going to, they should fully pay because if that happens and that crumbles the insurance business as well. Um, and so we have to be very mindful about what we're doing. Uh, you know, if that were to happen, I don't, there's no way that they could pay fully for every business. Um, it would just have to, you know, just pay a percentage. 
Every bit helps right now. So, and I don't want to destroy the system, but it does need to step up a little bit. Uh, Chef, I don't want to take much of your time because I know that you're also getting a good rest just being at home. Um, I think the thing I'd love for you to leave us with, with is like it's very traumatic, it's very dark times, it's very uncertain. Uh, you are at the front line of this. You um, went through Harvey. You're seeing something new. What in all of this gives you hope? That we can take care of each other. At the end of the day, we're all going through this together. Right? No matter what business you're in, no matter what industry you're in, every single person, your neighbors, make sure, you know, from a safe distance, hey, you guys good? That's all you got to do. Just ask. But taking care of each other is the biggest thing. Supporting your local restaurants is huge. But supporting your small businesses as well is huge. And understanding that even if it is a big business, the people that are working inside there are local. And so everybody can do something, but more importantly, just take care of your, take care of your people around you, you know, check on them. It's, it's very important right now. You know, I ran over a bottle of wine with a pair of gloves on, knocked it on my front door, you know, my next door neighbor's front door, left them a bottle of wine. Just make sure, hey, you guys good? Do you think? Let us know. <clears throat> it's just important to, uh, really take care of everybody. Because when this is over, Houston's still going to have a big hurt. You know, everybody's going to try and get back to normal, but Houston, with the oil business taking such a hit right now, Houston's still going to be hurting long after this is over. So uh, <laughs> that I don't even know what to talk about. You know, I don't even know how that's going to work out. So, but Well, we'll call, you when, this is, we'll call you when this is over to see how <laughs> we can <laughs> bring awareness to that as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Chef, I, first and foremost, thank you for all your efforts. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of people that would like to line up and shake you and your team's hand. Thank you for making time on your rare day at home. Um, and now, most importantly, how can people donate? How can people get in touch? Um, where can they go? What, what can they do? Southernsmoke.org. You can donate. You can apply. Um, those are the biggest things, right? Take care of yourself. Um, if you got it extra, Throw a couple bucks in. If you need something, apply into it as well. You know, that's, that's the key thing. We got to – this is a, a full circle recycle. You know, it's, it's a recycling system for ourselves, you know. We got to take care of each other, and so you got to take care of yourself too. So if yeah. you need it, apply. If you got it, donate. Um, we're going to take uh, us out with one more song from the archives. Uh, thanks for tuning into the special episode of Snacky Tunes. Uh, we'll be back with more coverage of the corona pandemic here on Heritage Radio Network.
it's growing to die in its name so we look to gods to save us During this time, it's more important than ever to support our friends and neighbors in the restaurant industry. Restaurant Workers Community Foundation has set up a national COVID-19 crisis relief fund. The money they raise will provide direct relief to individual restaurant workers, support other nonprofits serving restaurant workers in crisis, and offer zero-interest loans for restaurants to get back up and running. Visit restaurantworkerscf.org to donate today. And if you need a little extra motivation, you can DM your $20 donation to RWCF's co-founder, John DeBerry, on Twitter, and he'll give you directions for making a signature quarantine cocktail. Donate now at restaurantworkerscf.org. Oh my God, that's so good. <laughs> I'm glad you guys like that. Strange things, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Hi. Hello. What's up? Nice to see you. Yeah, good to see you guys. How are you doing on this? Like, I feel like this is our first real hot Sunday of the of the summer. 
It's it's gorgeous. Yeah. We love the hot weather. We all hate the cold. Even though we're originally from Minnesota. Yeah, I was gonna say like yeah. forgot. Well, I mean, maybe that's why you're not from Minnesota. Maybe that's why you're from there and now here. Right. We love everything about Minnesota except that part. It's yeah. a little frustrating. What's the? Uh, what do you? Is there anything you miss about like the Minnesota summer? Uh, Minnesota is the best place to be in the summer. Honestly, it's so gorgeous. There's green everywhere. I mean, there's green in New York City. You occasionally see green, the rare <laughs> bit of green, but. Minnesota is everywhere. You don't have to seek it out at all. Yeah. Parks Uh and lakes every two blocks. (laughs) Yeah. I like your guys' origin story from um, University of Minnesota surrounding um, bassists and drummers. Uh, Can you guys mind sharing that? Uh, uh, Do you mean our... How uh, you guys formed? Oh, um, well, it started off with... uh, Liam and I had been playing with other bands, and when we got together, we sort of um, got a few musicians that we had been playing with... um, Really not thinking that they were the best thing for the project, but, you know, they were guys we knew and liked. But Was it, uh, was it Slim Pickings in Minnesota, or was it just... Um, at that point, it was because we weren't really part of any sort of clique. Um, we were just kind of making our own way, so we kind of went with what we knew and got some guys that we liked. Um, but eventually, as the music progressed and as our live set sound progressed... We realized we need to get some. Uh, we need to get some musicians that were more equipped to handle that kind of stuff. So that's where Fletcher came in. He actually approached us at one show and was like, uh, "Your set was good. Just uh, call me when you need an upgrade." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's such like a good thing. I mean, but I also feel like finding a good bassist uh, and a good drummer is like probably like not to say they're interchangeable. And of course, you're staying in the band. At least you guys. Yeah, for yeah. now. Yeah, for now. Okay, uh, for now. But like, you're just like okay, like. Let me know when you guys are ready. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, it was him. Oh. It was him. Oh, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) The guy holding the bass, I apologize. (laughs) Uh, And then since the three of you guys kind of formed together, like, then did things kind of take off from there? Um, yeah, I suppose so. Um, we've kind of been experiencing, like, we didn't have, like, an overnight, like, blow up or something like that. I just want to make sure that nothing on Snacky Tunes is like an overnight success. It's like like long fraught with like setbacks and hardships but like, you know, it's like a long road of uh, tried and true trepidation. But luckily for us, um, we haven't had too many like major setbacks. It's just been like a slow climb, a slow and steady climb, which is kind of the way we prefer to work, you know, I guess. (laughs) Um, So what made you leave the sweet, sweet, bitter cold, cold winters in Minnesota to bring you out to New York? Uh, gentrification, really. We just love it. We're big fans. No, uh, oppor- opportunity. It's opportunity. I knew New- I know New Yorkers will love to hear me say that there's opportunity out here, but that's that's why we came. What are some of the opportunities that you see here that you might not have found in uh, your hometown? Increased network. I mean, there's a lot of people. There's um, music producers, DJs, radio hosts. There's there's the works in Minneapolis. Um, there's just a lot more of them out here. Um, <laughs> Who were some of the first people that you found uh, when you came out here that you started to go like, yeah, like we made the right decision? Well, um, we came out here after getting signed to French Kiss, um, thinking that we'd like to move out and be a little closer to the label um, as we uh, uh, our record comes along. Uh, we actually became very good friends with a lot of people at the label. It was sort of a built-in network when we uh, when we arrived, and through them we met um, other people. Um, <laughs> Lou, what do you think, Liam? You gotta. You haven't said anything yet. This is Liam, everyone. <laughs> Hello. Um, Hi, Liam. Hi. Welcome to Snacky um, Tunes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, I'm originally from New York, uh, 
and I grew up in Brooklyn and I uh, had some friends from my high school days that were still in bands and we would occasionally uh, come from Minneapolis when we were still living there permanently and like set up little bills here and there with some pals that I had had before but I don't know it's it's been cool like you almost everyone bartends so I feel like a lot of people that we know and have met have been at bars yeah, that's, I feel like behind my, the bar. My first, my first five years were local. I mean, you too, Jordana. You have a lot of bartending friends. Uh, I have a lot of bartending friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it makes it e- especially makes it easier when you're like don't have a lot of money. Yeah. Oh yeah. For yeah. Sure. Um, well, why don't we hear a song? What are you guys gonna play first? We gotta play a song called Ricochet. All right, uh, here we go live on Snacking Tunes. Leave me. I already know. We came apart because the world was 
Awesome. Sounds great. That was a good move. That was a did professional move. <laughs> that chord definitely fell out, and you got it right back, like, not a second too soon. Did I hear a burrata lyric? A piranha. Oh, damn. It should be We are in a pizza place. I was really hoping it was about burrata. I got really excited. Did you see me look at you, and I was like, yeah, I love that yeah. cheese. People can never understand that lyric. Yeah. <laughs> Someone thought that... Or someone thought that it was flight to Rwanda. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. publicist. I yeah. guess it kind of like classic to, social to where mes- you are message. Like, yeah. Barana or Barada. Yeah, Who where you want a vacation there. Wherever you are in your life. Um, let's talk about the the new record. Um, what was the decision to re-record it once you moved here? Um, we, it was just not. I mean, we're all kind of perfectionists. It just wasn't quite up to par with what we had envisioned. We wanted something, uh, just. Uh, I don't know. We we just knew that we needed a rebirth totally. So we knew we were coming here. We knew we had uh, increased resources because uh, we had recorded it before we had been signed or anything. So we came here with uh, extra help, and we knew that we could achieve more with that and uh, use different instruments, a better facility. Not not the facility that we recorded in Minneapolis was bad. It was just not. Uh, fulfilling what we had envisioned and uh so wait so did you get signed on the old record or the or the re-recording um the old the old record okay and then and they had also encouraged us to re-record it oh really yeah i mean it was mostly our decision but they were like into it oh how did, was that like i mean if you guys wanted to you don't have to but if you wanted to you absolutely yeah, that's good. And and what are some of the? And I know you said instrumentation, but uh, I mean, uh, I know you had producers involved. You know, did they, they help you kind of explore like a deep or going back a complete second time? Like, what did you maybe learn about the song meetings or the structure of the songs or what kind of like understanding did you gain from uh, doing it a second time? Well, we were mostly doing it ourselves the first time, so it was a really nice opportunity to have an objective point of view in the room in the creative process with us the entire time. And we worked with this guy Andrew Mari who is so great, and it was pretty much just ESP. We didn't really even have to communicate notes to each other. We just gave each other, like, we just grilled each other until the ideas just sprouted. <laughs> Glares. What's some, what were some of the questions that he asked you to kind of like, get to know you guys? Uh, just, like, exchanging, like, YouTube clips. I feel like when we were just kind of courting each other, uh, it was just kind of like, <laughs> oh, yeah, like, I like this, and I like this. Do you remember, like, which one you guys sent or he sent that was, like, like that unlocked the whole, oh, broke everything open? There was a video of, of Chairlift doing one of their songs that... In Japanese. Uh, yeah, she learned her songs, in, or her one of her songs in Japanese and did a video. Yeah, and then, yeah, and then this, a couple of B-52 songs. And then you're like, yes. Yeah. yeah you shall like produce us. The joy. We can just see the joy and vision it. And, you know, was the process, I mean, I, you know, birthing something, I think, is, is such an intimate thing. Having already, you know, kind of laid the, the framework, did you feel that it was maybe easier the second time? Or was it more difficult because you thought there was more writing on it? Uh, I mean, it, I thought I think it was a lot easier just because it was it was comfy. I mean, this room had couches. This room had it was just like a lot. It was a lot more accommodating. It was, broken, it was just broken chairs on the first one, <laughs> just like glass everywhere. Yeah, we just we just sat on sticks. <laughs> um, no, this was uh, it was great, and uh, at times it felt, I guess, monotonous because we were re- just revisiting material that we had already. Uh, committed ourselves to for so long because a lot of these songs were written three years ago and some of them were written five minutes ago so it was uh i guess just a a roller coaster of excitement okay ups Uh, and downs and i know you guys just came back from a week tour with azalea banks how was that 
Awesome. It was crazy. Where did you guys go? Uh, we went to Chicago and Boston, and we and then we played Irving Plaza with her here. And uh, oh, actually, a lot of downtime. It was mostly just us hanging out. We everyone on the crew decided that we all needed a vacation after two shows, <laughs> which is kind of amazing. So we all just drove overnight from Chicago to Niagara Falls and spent like three days in Niagara Falls. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, was that first time at Niagara Falls? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, did you cross over to the Canadian side or just... Uh, I, I did. Yeah, you did? <laughs> I, I don't have a valid ID save for my passport, so I thought that that was the one situation in which that would like be an advantage. Yeah, but you just like walked over. <laughs> yeah, no just, one even checked I, you. Yeah, I just walked over. That's, that's crazy. Oh, so that's how you get in I back and forth. I so that's how you go. Back, like you pounds of weed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or did you? <laughs> yeah, who knows? Isn't that side of the falls like there's like lots of like crime and like cra- it's just like total crazy? Like, like that's like like the wrong side of the falls. Yeah, the wrong the, side of the falls. Oh, it's on the wrong side of the falls. You don't want to. <laughs> Gotta no, stay no, in America. Yeah. Um, why don't we hear another another song? Cool. What are you guys gonna play? A ballad we like to call "Where and Why." Out of source, out of time. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Private eye. Oh, do you know where and why? Second store. I wanna see the boy alone. I wanna see the boy alone. History that you can roll on the fence and in the window cyclone. You look like that, you lens like the rest, but you you look like that, you lens like the rest.
fantastic. Jordani looks speechless. For the first time that I've ever known you, he looks speechless. <laughs> yep, yep. D- just I, bring was, the gu- I was actually looking for a cheese joke in there yeah. as well. <laughs> did you say Romesco in that? I, I think he did. I think, <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I don't want to say I misheard it. Um, so what does uh, uh, Brooklyn Summer have in store for you guys? Um, we're kind of we're going back to our hometown of Minneapolis. And can't miss the summer. Huh? Because you can't miss the summer. Yeah, we can't miss the summer there. No, it's going to be really fun. It's the first time we'll have played there in a year. Um, and uh, we're just excited to see everyone and kind of do that. So we'll be there for a week, and we're playing a couple shows there, kind of homecoming, faux record release kind of things. And, it doesn't have um, to be faux. It's like just appropriate, just a little bit, a little bit after. We're the fab foe, though, you know. Oh, just kidding. No, pretty good. <laughs> pretty good. Uh, you want to write punch up for us for the radio show? <laughs> definitely love a good pun in here. Yeah, Francis used to write fortune cookies for really? his income. Actually, really. Yeah. Can we get a couple of those? Do you remember any? They were all really bad. No, I mean, um, wait, did you do this for sport, or was it just, or was it, was it your job? <laughs> Extra like, income. Yeah, I entered a pun competition. Um, you had to, you had to put uh, forth ten uh, different jokes, and you know they choose a winner. And I really thought one of mine would take it, but no pun intended. Oh, wow. <laughs> Classic. I mean, you had us like, like, oh, it's a good story. Oh, no, uh, just a long setup. Wait, yeah. so um, do you remember any of your fortune cookies at all? Uh, one, one was, they were all really, uh, it was like we worked at a really high-end restaurant, and I would write these cookies for them. They still passed out fortune cookies. I don't know. They're really high-end. But um, What was the restaurant? It, it was called, like, World Street Kitchen. Well, it was, like, fast, casual, but the food was, like brain food if that makes any sense it wasn't brains yeah no we got yeah but uh one of them was like ask about our pizza special so i'd have people coming up to me with their fortunes like what what's the pizza special i'd be like there's no pizza you idiot and i got so these were both these were mostly just i would write the fortune cookies to as as setups for myself for my own jokes (laughs) after so essentially after they paid then you could just start fucking with the customer so you lasted how long (laughs) um long time i was there for 18 years 18 years of my life um well um i want to make sure we get one more song in but where can people get the record where can people find you and any summer brooklyn shows here um yeah i mean we'll we're gonna announce a bunch of dates soon um which we're not at liberty to discuss yet is that paul's doing uh, you know, yeah, a little bit. By the, way, so by the way, Paul said you guys were sexy and charming, and he was right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sid, on the other hand, had nothing nice to say. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're just dear dear men. Yeah, they're good men. Um, no, yeah, we're gonna announce some stuff soon, and uh, till then, you, yeah, you can buy our record on all the main outlets, iTunes, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You can stream it, and then I there's they sell it at Rough Trade in. Uh, New York. They sell it at Rough Trade and other music and all those really cool record stores and stuff. Okay, Strange cool. names. Use your time wise. <laughs> uh, well, I want to thank Angelo Romano for coming by and making us definitely go to Murray Hill this this time. We'll go, right? Oh, we're going to go together. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go after uh, something. Yeah. Other fun stuff or nothing. We we'll just do nothing and then go. Um, <laughs> or that could be the thing that we do. Shout it out to be my. a thing in and of itself. Shout out to my uh, special co host, Jordana Rothman, and all the feelings that we saw today at Inside yeah. Out. And a uh, big shout-out to uh, Berlin Summer, which I'll be heading to next weekend, and to Darren and uh, Anna, who are listening in for their one week of happy 
Nesting Hood. And You're Joe. as dear to us as a cheese plate. Yeah. And then uh, we'll be off the next couple of weeks, and then Darren will be back. So how anticlimactic <laughs> is that one? Well, yeah. it was fun while it lasted. Yeah, well, no. Then you'll be back. <laughs> um, it'll be a light, snacky tune summer. That's okay. Okay. We have some things to sort out. Um, anyway, Strange Things, uh, thanks for uh, playing here today. What, what's the last song? Last song's called I Can't Control Myself. some security But you've been giving all your money to charity Oh, you're so good People think that you're so good Someone ought to tell you that you're enemy So watching you Once in a while You make the wrong impression Once in a while You break it my Just stay a while. I'm gonna need your help. I can't control myself. I doubt in my knees. This is the new survival. But I gotta find it my feet. Cause I can't control myself. You should think about your future. Cause messing up, yeah. It's so hard to redeem. And you should maybe be my teacher. Otherwise, I ain't joining that team, no. Once in a while, you make the wrong impression, yeah. Once in a while, you're breaking my heart, and I've been walking miles to tag along with your shadow. So don't keep stalling, I'm just gonna keep on falling for you. And down to my knees, this is the new survival. This program is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network.
Food Radio is supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.